Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see you all. It's a beautiful summer's day here in KwaZulu Natal. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your abundant mercy and grace, your steadfast love and faithfulness to us, your covenant people. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who faithfully obeyed the covenant, even in the face of, of our own covenant breaking, our own lawlessness. And Lord, thank you for the forgiveness of sins that he alone offers to us and the hope of eternal life that we have through you. And so we pray that you would guide us now by your spirit and your word into your truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, obviously we're continuing um, our series on the doctrine of God and we're zooming in now on the decree of God. Last week we looked at um, the doctrine of election. Um, anybody quickly in one sentence want to state a bi- bi- biblical teaching regarding election? Yes, don't have any thoughts about it. Just read the Bible and believe it. Thank you. Okay, that God chooses his people from before the creation of the world out of no foreseen faith in themselves, but pure out of his love for us to be saved. He does it. It's not conditioned on anything within us, any good works or foreseen faith. It's the pure pleasure of God for for choosing his people. Now we turn to what we call reprobation, which is most in a way, but not exactly the flip side of election. And there's obviously, you know, we've got to deal with this in a sensitive manner, because what do we mean by reprobation, first of all? It sounds... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We cons- we're talking about the non-elects, those whom, uh, those people who, to put it bluntly, go to hell. Okay, and how the, sort of the more broad evangelical church would would look at this is uh, Gary. Yeah, so we did, that wasn't the word used, I don't think. Sorry? No, no, non-elect. Yeah, non-elect. Yeah, yeah, no, no, we don't believe in that. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, not, it's a, you know, Jesus talks a remarkable, yeah, a remarkable, remarkably a lot about hell. Okay, also, we need to understand that. And hell is described not as an annihilation, as a kind of being snuffed out once and for good. It's truly terrifying how hell is described in the New Testament. as an eternal punishment that lasts forever and ever. The, it, facing, in the presence of God, by the way, it's not that hell is the absence of the presence of God. One is very much in the presence of God in hell, but in the presence of his wrath and not of his favor. So one is separated from God in the sense one is separated from his favor and his goodness. Like Jesus was separated from God on the cross, although he faced his, the wrath of God in entirety. So the Trinity was not as if the Trinity was ripped apart, the crucifixion. 
but it was that the face of God turned away from Jesus. And instead, God, he received the wrath of God, which was meant for us. I mean, he received what, what we, what we um, meant to, to pay because of our sins. And so when we talk about the, repro- the reprobate, okay, the, how the, much of the church understands this as well, obviously in, influenced by Arminianism, that those who are saved are those who who chose God out of their own free will. And those who go to hell, well, it was entirely their choice. They decided not to, they rejected God. And so they go to hell. Now, there's some truth in that, but it's not the whole truth. And that's what we, we want to look at um, t- this morning. Um, just want to, I know we read quite a bit from the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 3, last week. I just want to reread chapter 3, point, paragraph 7, because it's, this is what we're dealing with this morning. So it, paragraph 6 deals with the, the elect, chapter, uh, paragraph 7 deals with the reprobate. And this is what it says. As the rest of mankind, God was pleased, according to the unsearchable counsel of his own will, whereby he extends or withholds mercy as he pleases for the glory of his sovereign power over his creatures to pass by and to ordain them to dishonor and wrath for their sin to the praise of his glorious justice. The doctrine of this high mystery of predestination is to be handled with special prudence and care that men attending to the will of God revealed in his word and yielding obedience thereunto may, from the certainty of their effectual vocation, be assured of their eternal election. So shall this doctrine afford matter of praise, reverence, and admiration of God and of humility, diligence, and abundant consolation to all that sincerely obey the gospel. Welcome, Reese's. Um, so there's a couple of important things there. Also, so that paragraph eight, it's almost like a, a disclaimer. It's important we highlight that, especially with dealing with you know, this subject, is that the purpose of looking at the doctrine of election and now the reprobation is not that we try and figure out um, who the reprobate are. And if somebody think we, we think is reprobate, oh, then there's no use in even praying for them um, because they, you know, they're doomed to hell. That is not our job. Okay, our job is to pray for every person in our lives that we know is not a believer, and we pray that the Lord would save them and to preach the gospel to them okay, because we believe in the, the free, the, that the call of God must go out to everyone. And using, through the means of the, the preached word of the gospel, that, that is how God uses to, to bring sinners to repentance and faith in Christ. So if it is true that God has elected a people unto salvation, then the inevitable flip side is that those whom God has not elected are predestined to hell. So right here, we want to affirm that the Bible teaches what we call a double predestination. Okay, that God predestines his elect to, to heaven and everlasting life with him. And that he also 
predestines, although in a different way, and this is what we're going to look at, there's some nuance here, he also predestines the reprobate to hell. So what is the nature of this distinction? What is the difference? How, how differently does God predestine his elect to heaven and the reprobate to hell? Well, he predestines his people, us, his church, to everlasting life. With joy. <laughs> he, cho- he chose us in love, as Ephesians 1 4 tells us. Then he actively, by the power of his spirit, regenerates us. He works his salvation actively in us by the Holy Spirit, in raising us from death to life, in forgiving us our sins, in adopting us as his sons, in, in, in uh, working his sanctifying work by his spirit in us in actively glorifying us and raising us up to glory and new resurrection bodies on the last day. It's a glorious truth of our election that God does it all. He does it actively. But we can't say it's the same, God works in the same manner regarding his, the, the reprobate. The reason for that is, let's first look at Ezekiel 33 verse 11, which tells us that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Okay, that's important for us to to understand here. It's not as if God is, he gleefully elects us and saves us. But the the flip side is not true, that, that he gleefully sends other people to hell. Okay, he's not some kind of psychopath here. Okay, it's, He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's the word of the Lord. He doesn't do it in the same way. He doesn't actively work evil in them or prevent them from coming to faith. Okay, while he actively works good in us, his elect, in regenerating us and working in us by his spirit. Instead, while he certainly predestines them to hell, Okay, it's more in, in a passive sense that he, he passes over them and he leaves them to their own sinful desires. And the passing over language, that's the language used in the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 3, paragraph 7. And it's also the, the, the indications we see in the Word of God. And we're going to zoom in on Romans 9 because Romans 9 deals with this whole issue. Okay, believers have been wrestling with this issue for the last 2,000 years. The Apostle Paul, one of them. We'll see, we'll, we'll look at that in a moment. So the, the big objection to all this is, well, surely then that this makes God out to be unjust or unfair. How can he predestine some to life and then predestine others to to everlasting death. You know, where's the justice in that? Well, the reality, as Romans 6, 23 tells us, is that, well, all of us deserve hell, actually, for our sins. There's not one of us that has merited heaven on our own. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. The penalty for breaking the covenant, as was 
the case in the Garden of Eden with Adam, that penalty is death. And so outside of Christ, there's a, there's a penalty to pay for our sin. And that, that penalty is death, everlasting death. But it was just the mercy of God, the undeserved mercy of God that chose his elect as act of his pure grace that, 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 we are past, that we are saved from the wrath of God and that he chose not to, that, that we would endure his perfect justice. That, that's an exception to the rule, but the, the rule is that everyone gets justice. And justice for sins is death. Any questions so far? Okay, well, if you've got your Bibles here, let's turn to Romans 9, because this is really important. And I can say this is, this is big God theology, yeah. Okay, so Paul is wrestling with this exact issue in Romans 9. And he's saying, yeah, how is it that, that some are, are saved and, and not others? And so from uh, verse 13 of Romans 9, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now that statement was said of them before they were even born. How is it just for God to love one but not the other on the basis of nothing that either of them have done? Isn't that unjust? And so the scripture carries on. So Paul anticipates what's coming. He says, verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Okay, that's what we're all thinking. How can he love one, not the other? They haven't done anything. They're both supposedly innocent. And he says, by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So how does he justify then this point that God chooses some of the others and that there's no injustice in that? Well, he says, well, God's God. Okay, because God is God, it's his prerogative to be able to choose to have mercy on some and not on others. That's what God gets to do because he's God. Then verse 16 carries on. So then it depends not on human will or exertion. Okay, so it's basically, it's not one's good works that would save one or that anything that we do that makes us any deserving to, to, to be right with, with God. Not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So you can see there it's teaching unconditional election. It's It's the, it's the fact that those of us who are chosen in Christ 
are not because of anything within us, any foreseen faith or works, but it's purely on the mercy, according to the mercy of God. Verse 17, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I've raised you up. This is okay, relevant for us. We're looking, preaching through Exodus. For this very purpose, I've raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whom he ever wills and he hardens whom he ever wills. Okay, so he uses now Pharaoh as an illustration. Okay, that's, Pharaoh is obviously an example of a reprobate. So, so God, we saw last week in the text, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And you can see, this is what it, it's teaching here. At the same time, Pharaoh is responsible for his own sins. Okay, Pharaoh is the one who's actively sinning and in rebellion to God. And it's God who has the prerogative to harden whom he ever will. So then Paul carries on and says, well, you know, how is that even fair? And so then verse 19, you will say to me, why then does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Here's the answer, verse 20. It's a quote from Job. He says, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? So this is where this has sort of got to leave us here, is that we can not quite understand why God does what he does, why he chooses some and not others. And the scripture, I don't think, completely resolves that for us, but what... what we are left with here is that God is God. Who are we? Who are you, O man, to tell God what he can do and what he cannot do? Because it goes on, say, what will, will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump, one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make his power known as power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Okay, this is... There's a lot here. So it's saying, he says, well, who are you, O God, to answer back? God's going to, hasn't God, being God, got the prerogative to do what he wants? He hasn't, he as the one who is the molder of the clay, he is our creator. He's, it's in his right to make some of us destined for glory. And it's also within his rights and within his prerogative to make others for, as it says, dishonorable use. Vessels of wrath, listen to this language, a strong language, prepared for destruction. But you say, well, then why, why doesn't he just save everyone? Okay, well, we don't know. <laughs> but that's, that's God's problem, frankly. He's God. But also, he doesn't save everyone because everyone's ultimately deserving of wrath because of our sins, and he chooses to have mercy on some 
not others. But ultimately, he does what he does. And this is the concluding point here, which is echoed in the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 3, that he does all this. He prepares some vessels for glory, prepares others for destruction. Why? In order to make known the riches of his glory. In order that he's glorified, basically. God does everything for the purpose that his will and his purpose and himself is glorified. He is glorified in the salvation of his elect. And even in some way, he is glorified through the destruction of the wicked. Any questions so far? Yes, Malcolm. Well, I think it goes back to sure. Absolutely. Yeah, look, that's a very good question, and um, we've, you know, got to, you know, be posturally sensitive in, in, in dealing with people like that. But the key thing here is that we don't know who is reprobate or not. Okay, we can see. We've got to go on on people's profession of faith. Okay. Um, but they may not be a believer at present, but that doesn't mean that they are necessarily condemn, condemned to, to hell for eternity. That's not our business, frankly. Our business is to pray for them and to um, preach the gospel to them and to witness to them and to bring them to church that they may hear the gospel and be saved. That's God's... That's Only God knows his basically the invisible church those who are truly saved and, and those who are going to hell that's part of the the mystery of god but we love people regardless we preach the gospel to them share our faith with them pray for them regardless yeah yeah gary yeah i think romans chapter one shows clearly that ultimately god gives them over to a retrograde moment yeah However, there's a, although we have assurance of faith, mm. I haven't yet to understand that there's assurance of reprobation. Yeah, and it's as different. And therefore, 1 Corinthians 6, which starts cataloging the sins, for instance, the sins of uh, uh, homosexuality, effeminate, uh, such like. Malakos. Yes, correct. <laughs> 
the Greek word for a pansy. <laughs> it's there in the Bible. It's not my words. <laughs> Such were some of you. Yeah, exactly. That's the point exactly. I'm trying to say. Yeah. And even though you may feel reprobate now, there's a way back to God. It's always hope. Absolutely. A, a way that is open that you may come in. Yeah. At Calvary's cross is where you begin yeah. when you come as a sinner to Jesus. Amen. So, such were some of you. I, I love that phrase. Yeah. Because there's hope. Absolutely. There's hope to your dying breath. Yeah. And who, who can know the mind of God yeah. in, in terms of election to salvation and election to reprobation? Yeah. Because God is just yeah. to con consign you to hell. Yeah. And yet God is gracious, not for anything that you have done, mm. but for His glory and for His praise alone. Yeah. Has he selected some? Uh, for what? For his glory and praise. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, full. In a sense, it almost shows quite a self-awareness for someone to say they're reprobate. It's almost, almost, in some sense, contradicting themselves because a reprobate generally. Israel. Romans 9. Please do. Yeah, it's not Heidelcast if you if you listen to podcasts. Yeah, there's excellent material on there. Scott Clark, if you're listening, we are giving you a plug here. <laughs> yes, Gary. Ezekiel 36. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're going to be looking at uh, these themes in the sermon today as well. Yeah. Thank you. 
But he also thought he was uh, serving God in what he was doing and eradicating these heretics. Yeah, I mean, he was zealous for, for yeah, zealous for the Torah and Judaism. Great, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time together. Lord, we ask that you would now prepare our hearts as we go into the worship service and that your word would fall on fertile soil and bear much fruit for you. So seal the truth of your word in our hearts now and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.